truly, truly outrageous. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Kristen, and on top of it all, you're here with me. It's truly outrageous. That's the theme song from Jam and the Holograms. Children of the 1980s might recognize that, the Hasbro animated cartoon series on television about the all-girl pop band battling the mean, nasty punk band, the Misfits. Oh, Remember those that? Punks are the worst. God, those punks, they wrecked they're the so 80s. They're stylish and they're so cool. <laughs> they, just, they made it so hard for the rest of them. Um, there's a movie version coming out about Jam and the Holograms, as you well know. Aubrey Peoples, Juliette Lewis. It's uh, rock and roll themed fantasy. Kristen, you and I are going to have a very special review of Gem and the Holograms. Oh, very special. Very, very, unlike truly, any... truly, truly special. Yes, it's truly outrageous. It's unlike any other review we've ever done. That's a fact. Uh, we're also going to discuss Rock the Casbah, another music-themed comedy uh, with Bill Murray, and uh, we'll discuss one of the week's biggest releases and a big Oscar contender, it looks like, a dramatic thriller called Room. All that in a minute and more. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Rafer Guzman, movie critic for Newsday. And I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And this is Movie Date. Ah, the clash doesn't get much better. I once heard The Clash described as the only punk band you could shake your ass to. I oh, think that's, that's pretty good. Perfect. Yeah. Great description of The Clash. Um, that sort of has a little something to do with the new film we're going to talk about, Rock the Casbah. Casbah with a K, unlike The Clash song. It's a new uh, musical comedy with Bill Murray as a washed-up music manager named Richie Lands. He goes over to Afghanistan uh, for reasons that are a little difficult to explain. He's stranded there. He's out in a small village somewhere in Paktia province. And he hears a voice, a beautiful, beautiful female voice of a Pashtun girl. And he's drawn to it and decides, this is my next big star. Here's a clip. From the moment you heard me sing, since you found me in the cave, since we were put here on this earth, everything in our lives has led us to this time, this place. Richie Lenz, our story is already written. And now, now we shall play our parts. Okay, but I'm going to want 20%. Ah, that innocent young girl played by Leem Lubani. She is a newcomer from Palestine. This is only her second or third film. She's playing Salima, a teenage girl from a very protective village. And, of course, Richie Lanz is nothing like her. He is not innocent like she is. He's not uh, wide-eyed and looking for freedom. He's just looking for his next act. That's so, right. He's going to help her get onto the Afghan version of American Idol. And this is actually inspired by true events in some ways because a few years ago, two women became the first females to really sing publicly on TV because of Afghan Idol. Right. And, or it was called Afghan Star, I believe. Yes. And um, so we have a character who's like that, who is going to be doing something truly revolutionary in her country. She's a girl, and she's going to be singing in public on national television. And how is this going to help Richie in his career? And how does this fit into the whole situation there in Afghanistan with the war, with the arms trade, with the people who have their own wheelings and dealings going on on the ground? Rafer, what did you think about this? This is directed by Barry Levinson, who has done war and comedy before in Good Morning Vietnam, which is a very well-received, much-beloved movie with Robin Williams in the Vietnam War. 
I remember when that film came out, there was a little trepidation among some people about whether or not Vietnam was the right setting for a comedy. But that film, I thought, had a really good way of paying respects to the actual violence, the tricky politics, the real world bloodshed of Vietnam, which I think it handled seriously, while also having this kind of wacky, crazy, manic Robin Williams figure drive the movie. Um, So here you've got Bill Murray stepping into that role in a way, and Bill Murray's great, and this is exactly the kind of role you want from Bill Murray, right? He's the swinging lounge lizard guy. Hey, babe, is fish out of water. He's in Afghanistan. He's surrounded by warlords. He's going to sort of smooth talk and finger point his way out of all these crazy situations. The thing is, um, this is an ongoing, bloody, tragic, awful war in Afghanistan that's been going on for 14 years. And I don't think it's funny. I don't think it's funny to have a crazy, wacky comedy in which IEDs are detonating There's possible honor killings. There's a village massacre that are all played for laughs, that are all played like this is just part of the crazy rock and rolling Afghanistan weirdness out here. It's party town. I don't think that's funny. And I think the film makes a real error in not acknowledging that at all. I think the film is so insensitive to what's actually going on in Afghanistan that it wrecked anything else that might even be funny in this movie. Well, I think that I agree with you somewhat here, Rafer, um, but I do think that war and comedy can go together and they and that it can be done intelligently. But yes. In this movie, unfortunately, it's not being done intelligently. No, it's and not. And it's so overstuffed and they try to get every trick in the book in this movie. It, it's, you know, the hooker with the heart of gold. I was right. talking about that with you off mic, Rafer. Right, played by Kate Hudson with some kind of odd southern accent. Not sure what that yeah, is. Some but sort yeah, some sort of weird accent. The singer who can't quite make it, played by Zoe Deschanel. Right. The wacky arms trader, also with the heart of gold, played by Bruce Willis. Um, but he's like, yo, that's, he's, he's the mercenary named Bombay Bryan. So he's right. The, he's a colorful character. And then you've got, right, Danny McBride and Scott Ken as, yes. um, as, the, as the, the wacky munitions dealer guys. Pot smoking, crazy, hard partying munitions dealer guys. Yeah, and there are just too many of these wacky characters who are each different archetypes that we've seen before. And how are they all in this movie working together? Not very well. Not very well. And and sometimes it feels that there's no transition from one scene to the next. Like, how do we get here? Suddenly you guys are best friends. Hold on, what's going on here? I thought you guys hated each other. Now you guys are working together. Hold right. on, are you in love with him now? Because I can't really see how that happened because nothing led up to you being in love with him. Right. We're just all going to assume that you're in love with him because that's how movies go. I think I think this has one a real classic Hollywood problem, which is really the only two people in the film that need to be in the film are Bill Murray and this unknown Palestinian actress that nobody's ever heard of. And that's not going to sell. That's not going to sell the movie. You can't put that on a poster. You need other names. And so you bring those other names in. And now that you've brought them in and you've paid them a salary, you've got to use them. And you want to make up you know, characters and arcs and storylines and all this stuff. And then suddenly we're spending all this time with people that we don't care about. I don't care about Danny McBride's character or Kate Hudson's character or Zoe Deschanel's character, and yet they have to be in there to sell this movie and make you think, oh, look at that cast. I'm going to go see that. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a shame because I thought that if this was handled differently, it could have been a story where the relationship between this naive, earnest girl and this very mercenary American would have been a great analogy, a great metaphor for what's actually happening over there right now, Right. if it was well handled. And right. it would have been moving, it would have been funny, it would have been smart. 
it's just not done well. Right. Instead, and, instead, and, it's, oh, I'm going to come slaughter your village. Woohoo! Uh, and I was so sad about that because I yeah. thought this movie had so much potential. When I first learned about this movie, I thought this has a lot of potential, but it didn't deliver on the potential. I have yeah. to say, Rock the Casbah did not rock me. It was a very bad date. I think this is one of the worst dates of the, of the year. This is one of the, one of the worst films I've seen. This was this. I, th- I actually thought this was possibly worse than Aloha. I thought, I thought it, was, it was so bad. <laughs> That's not true. Aloha was worse, but this is very close behind. All right, Rafer, let's talk about something else that's a little spookier. Halloween's around the corner, and we have the latest installment of the Paranormal Activity films. Now, this isn't just the latest installment. It's supposedly the very last one. Supposedly. Supposedly. The last, the sixth and last in the Paranormal Activity uh, films. This one's called Paranormal Activity The Ghost Dimension. This one's promising to do something that the other films have not done. It's going to show you, give you a real look at that demon, uh, where the other the other films never had what you'd really call special effects, this one does, and it's going to wrap it all up, answer all your questions, and bring the whole storyline to a close. Let's listen. Hello. Is there? <gasps> hey, Jesus, you scared me. It's just me. It's just me. You got the vino. I think there's something here. What? I think I felt something. Okay. Yeah, I looked through uh, the camera, but I didn't say anything. Hold on, hold on. I think there's like a night vision thing. Oh, there it is. What? Now, Rafer, I thought something that was very appealing about all of the paranormal films up until now um, was the low-budget quality and that we didn't see the demon. I don't want to see the demon. How you don't want you... to see the demon? No, no, no. How did you feel about the fact that you could see the demon in this latest one? I was fine seeing the demon. Um, the demon is sort of, uh, I don't know what you'd call him, kind of a, a, he's sort of like a liquid roots, tree roots, spider kind of does figure. Does he have a face? He, uh, he does. He has, uh. he has a face here and there. And it's not really, um, they, they actually do a fairly good job not sort of giving him the, the classic spooky demon face. Um, but, you know, ultimately, this is, to me, just another paranormal activity film. It's the exact same plot that you've seen over and over. There's a cult. There's a little girl. There's a demon named Toby. He's going to come get her. The parents are going to try to rescue the girl, blah, blah, blah. We know where this goes. It's fun. It does all the great little camera tricks. It's all the found footage business, the security cameras, the video cameras. There's one of those um, ghost photography cameras that shows up that can capture spirits, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know... It's fun. It's enjoyable. It's as sort of goofy as the rest of them, I would say. Um, no great shakes. Nothing that blew me away. I have a hard time believing this will be the last one in the series, even though that's what Paramount Pictures is saying. But I think when you invest roughly $18 million total over the total <laughs> franchise, and that thing gives you $800 million in profit in return— I think we're going to see another one. That's just my guess. I think so, too. Just my guess. I think so, too. It's a perfectly fine date if you're a horror fan. I think you'll enjoy it. But is it as good as Witch Hunter? Well, you mean The Last Witch Hunter starring Vin Diesel. Please say it's the last one. <laughs> I, I don't need another witch hunter. Well, you know this. I don't is, need you another know, hero. You know this one ends with uh, with plenty of room for a sequel. How could it not? Every movie like this has to end with a little room for a sequel. This stars Vin Diesel as Calder with a K. He was a Christian crusader about 800 years ago. He was going to defeat the witch queen, which he did. But with her dying breath, she cursed him with immortality, and he's been hunting witches 
ever since, even today in modern day Manhattan. Well, hello, witch. <laughs> You know, people shouldn't root around their past. Some things are best left forgotten. Now, I will say about this movie, just a full disclosure, I love Vin Diesel. You do. I don't love understand your love him. of him. Love him in everything. I understand your love of The Rock because The Rock is delightful, but I do not understand your love of Vin Diesel. Vin Diesel's been good in every single film I've seen him in. That includes Riddick. No, you're actually wrong about that. No, Rafer. no, no, it's no the you're truth. totally wrong. Riddick, Riddick God, was a horrible Riddick. movie. I loved Riddick. You did not like Riddick? Riddick. No, don't you remember how much I hated that movie? There's oh, nothing good about that movie. God, I love that movie. Okay, and I also love all the Fast and Furious movies. And here we've got Vin Diesel doing the you know supernatural horror action film thing. He's as great as he always is. He's charismatic. He's fun. I will also say this film's got a really good supporting cast. Michael Caine, Elijah Wood, and this uh, very, relatively unknown actress named Rose Leslie, who plays the hip, street-smart witch, the, one of the good ones that Vin Diesel teams up with. That is the kind of character that I think usually spells death for a movie that just sounds horrible on paper. Rose Leslie makes her work, and she's actually pretty good. She's got intelligence and a, and a spine and some spirit, and she's actually a really good character. It's the, it's the usual, typical, you know, flaming sword, screaming witches, demons, ghosts, blah, blah, blah. But it's fun. It's entertaining. I like the fact that... Uh, Vin Diesel's character appears to live in the top floor of the San Remo building in, uh, in Manhattan, which made me think, uh, I thought that was kind of interesting, that he's kind of a one percenter witch hunter. But uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed the film. Uh, you know, again, if you like these kind of movies, it's definitely a step above the uh, Resident Evil underworld uh, franchises. Very enjoyable. I'm not going to see it. No, you're not going to no, see it, but it's a gonna, perfectly fine date. Not going to see it. Let's talk, Kristen, about a movie that probably has a little more potential for you. Room. Tell us about this one. Now, this is based on the Emma Donahue bestseller from about five years ago. And if you um, read the book, you already know that this is about a little boy. It's told in first person. He's five years old. And he's spent his entire life. He was born in and he lives in a place called Room. It's about 10 by 10 feet. He lives there with his mother. Every morning he wakes up and he says, good morning, chair. Good morning, rug. Hello, toilet. Good morning, chair number two. Yeah. He doesn't have a lot that's in his world. His world is very small. And yet it has a schedule and it has an order and it has a system of things. And his mother's tried his best to make him feel loved and nurtured within this world. And he soon discovers because his mom tells him, you're five years old now. You're old enough to know. Room isn't everything. There's a whole other world out there. And she explains to him that she was kidnapped as a teenager and she doesn't go into great detail about it, but those of us who are adults know her uh, kidnapper actually raped her, and that's how she ended up with this little boy. And in the film, we catch up with them at this point where he's five years old and where he's being told this while he lives in this world. And we learn about her desire to escape this world and how she tries to enlist the help of her little five-year-old boy in getting out. Here's a clip. Do you remember how Alice wasn't always in Wonderland? She fell down, 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 deep in a hole. Right, well, I wasn't always in room. I'm like Alice. So, Kristen, um, this movie was kind of a talker to begin with. Uh, I think people were really intrigued by it. I know I was. Um, the premise is just kind of undeniably good. 
Um, Brie Larson, an actress I think people like a lot, but not what I would call an A-list star or a, a hugely recognizable name. Yeah, she's usually a supporting character, frequently in comedies, like in Trainwreck. Mm-hmm, that's right. Um, and yet, uh, based on reviews and even early reviews that were leaking out when this was showing at festivals, this film seems to be on its way to being a major Oscar contender. What did you think of it? I absolutely think that this is going to be an Oscar contender, no doubt about it. And the little boy, Jacob Tremblay, who plays Jack in the film, uh, I think he might be the youngest Oscar nominee of all time this year. Aha! Do you? Yes, I do. He does such a great job of showing the wonder of a child and the innocence. And then the eye-opening moment when you're reborn again, when you see something in a totally different way. He does it with such charm and such innocence. When he says at one point to another character in the film for the first time, I love you. Yes. Who wasn't crying? Yes. How much were you crying during that, Rafer? I really, really liked this film. I thought this was so interesting. Um, Really well written by Emma Donahue, who wrote the novel. Yes, which doesn't always work out. Sometimes you don't want the novelist to write the screenplay, but she does such a great job translating this to film. I think think Gillian Flynn from Gone Girl sort of uh, opened the door for that, I think. I bet you we see a lot more novelists writing their own screenplays at this point. But I think the screenplay is great. Um, It's really nicely directed by Lenny Abrahamson, who did Frank, one of my favorite Mm. movies. Yes, um, we both the loved last Frank few last years. year. Loved Frank. And um, this is a very different film. That was sort of a music-themed oddball comedy. This is a very serious, very intense, um, and I would also say very unorthodox film in the way that it's structured. Um, I don't want to give too much away about how this film splits in two about halfway through in a way, um, but I, I thought that was – I thought the kind of – the first half and the second half – are so different from each other and in such an unexpected way that it really, it just, it really got me and it really made me think a lot and it really made me think, as you said, about children and what children want and need and the way they think and the way they approach the world, what's real to them, what isn't real to them, what matters to them. Um, I thought it was just wonderful and I really, really liked this movie. I thought it was a really good date. Oh, it was wonderful. I think it's one of the best movies of the year, hands down. One you of the do, best really? movies ever. Yeah, do you? I really loved this Be- movie. Say that again. Best movie ever, you say. One of the best movies ever. Yeah, I'd put it on my top 100 list of best movies I've ever seen. No kidding. It wow. was so different than anything else I've ever seen. So immersive. Such a different take on what reality is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How often do we see a film that gives us a different version of what reality is and it's not a sci-fi film? Yeah, that's true. It's not a sci-fi film at all. This is very much grounded in this world. And one thing I was thinking about was how just a couple of weeks ago when we reviewed Martian, we talked about, oh, how do we get off this planet? Mm-hmm. And it seems completely feasible in the film, even though it's unbelievably difficult. It com- seems completely feasible. Right. And in this film, you're trapped in a shed and it seems impossible to get out. Right. Yeah. And what is that like to look at something as simple as a shed and know you can never get out of it? Right. I just think it's unbelievable how it changes your version of space and time and reality and how physical space and how much physical space you have affects how actual time passes in your life every mm-hmm. single day and mm-hmm. how those oh, moments pass. And yeah. I thought the film did a really great job of showing that when there is more space or less space, uh, time stretches out uh in equal and opposite ways. And I thought that was fascinating. And yeah, that little boy is so good. Yeah, he's great. He's He's great. He's just so good. Outstanding date. I loved Rome. 
All right, well, stay with us, because when we come back, we have a very special review of the movie Gem and the Holograms. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Rafer Guzman. And this is Movie Date. And now it's time to move on to something truly outrageous, Rafer. Yes, Gem and the Holograms. Truly, truly, truly outrageous. <laughs> or is it? <laughs> Let's give a little synopsis of what happens in this live-action version of Gem. Now, unlike the 1980s version where we had Gem, a.k.a. Jerrica, who was a record executive who had her own company and she had two identities offstage and on stage, this movie takes a slightly different take on all of the story. So in this one, we have a teenage girl. She is a little bit shy. She loves to sing, but she's not somebody who seeks out attention. Her sister decides she's going to post a video of her singing, unbeknownst to her, on the internet. And overnight, she becomes a huge internet sensation. Within seconds, people are clicking, clicking, clicking like crazy, watching a YouTube video of her singing. Soon she has a record deal being offered to her. But she wants to, of course, bring her sister along, as well as her two foster sisters, so they can all become stars together. And, of course, no rock star story would be complete without a little bit of romance from Rio, the son of her new record company boss. But also, who 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 doesn't like a rock movie without a robot? That's you need right. A robot, too. Gotta have a ro- gotta have a robot. The robot named Synergy in this case. Yes. So here's a clip. Jerrica Benton, come over here. Jerrica Benton. You are cute and quirky. <laughs> and no longer Jerrica. Uh, what do you mean? What do I mean? What do you mean? What do I mean? The whole world wants to know who you are right now, which means so much free publicity. This is exactly the artist that Starlight has been looking for. Equal parts talent and mystery. Talent, mystery. And this movie is directed by John M. Chu, who did uh, Step Up 3D. And other other dance-oriented films, you've got Aubrey Peoples as Jim. That's Juliette Lewis playing the evil record company executive, uh, Erica. And Ryan Guzman is the hunky intern, Rio. And uh, we thought, uh, instead of giving you the traditional review of Jim and the Holograms, we'd do something a little different. We've created our own version of Jim and the Holograms, and we're going to roll that for you right now. You're a firework. Come on, show him what you're worth. Make him go. Ah, uh, oh hi. I'm Jerrica Benton. I'm recording this YouTube video, but I don't want to share it because I'm painfully shy. I hope my sister deletes this video. I sure hope she does not post it to the internet. Hey, Jem, it's me, Kimber. Don't hate me, but I totally posted that video of your song to the internet. OMG, that was private. But look, you've gone viral. You're trending on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, Tumblr, Grinder, Friendster, Earthlink. You're a star. I am. Yay! Who's there? Hello, Jerrica. I'm the president of Starlight Music, and I'd like to offer you a contract. My name is Erica. What a coincidence. My name's Jerrica. I know. It's like we're mirror images of each other. Yeah, I don't really do metaphor, but I'll take that contract. Excellent. I will make you rich and famous. But in return, you can never reveal your true self. You must be known only as Jem. What? I have to create a glamorous persona and then perpetuate it? 
I thought being a pop star was all about honesty and being true to yourself. Uh, no. Where did you get that idea? Anyway, you should meet my hunky assistant, Rio. Hello there. Your name is Rio? Do you dance on the sand? Huh? Are you a wild boy? Is there something I should know? Please, please tell me now. That's it. I'm out of Duran Duran songs. Look, I'm just your driver. You mean you're the chauffeur? I could do this all day. Jerrica, as your sister, I'm begging you not to sell your soul for chart-topping success. But if you do, don't forget to bring this cute little robot. Our dead dad invented it. I think it creates holograms. Hmm. Let's turn it on. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Hmm. That can't be right. Let's try this button. Jerrica, it's me, your father. I'm only a hologram, but I want to tell you something. Follow your dreams, Jerrica. Never fear the unknown. Okay, Daddy. Okay. Believe in yourself. Okay. Use your gifts. Yep, got it. Take it to the limit, Jerrica. Okay, I'm turning you off now, Dad. Be the ball, Jerrica. Well, that was all very touching. And now it's time to play your first big show. Hi, everyone. We're Jim and the Holograms. I know we sound like Carly Rae Jepsen, and we look like the Go-Go's after a one-night stand with Quiet Riot, but I want to say something. My real name is Jerrica Benton, and I'm just a normal girl from the suburbs. Any one of you can be Jem. You can lip-sync. You can wear blue eyeshadow. Open your hearts and play your inner guitar. But fans did not want a normal girl from the suburbs. They wanted a musical artist whose brand could also be monetized into clothing labels, perfume, and headphones. Jem and the Holograms proved too authentic for their generation, and they disappeared from the music business. But some say they moved to New Orleans, where you can still see them in a small nightclub, just playing the pure Delta Blues. see no reason why I shot my baby down. Ooh. Can't see no reason why I shot my baby down. If the devil come and get me, I'll just be laying around. Wow, Ray Fry, I hope our listeners understand how we felt about the movie. Was that was that too subtle? I think. I think. I hope that wasn't too subtle for our listeners. I think we've made our point. <laughs> I hope Kristen, so. <laughs> we must say thank you uh, to Sean Ramaswaran uh, of the Late Great Sideshow podcast, and he has something else cooking here at WNYC that we're not allowed to talk about. And also to Katie Bishop of Death, Sex, and Money, our podcast superstars here at the Studio K Players Theater. Thanks a lot, guys, for doing that with us. All right, Rafer. Before we go, as always. We have to do a little bit of trivia. So what did we ask last week, Rafer? Last week we were talking about a TV show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, uh, musical comedy. Uh, the main character is a lawyer, and so, of course, she breaks into song frequently throughout the series. And that made us think about how many other singing lawyers have there been out there? Not a heck of a lot, but we did find one, and we played him for you right here. Razzle dazzle them, and they'll never catch why. We asked you to name that singing lawyer, and what movie was that? And we got this answer. Good morning, good afternoon, Christina Rafer. Uh, that 
was Chicago. I bet it's one that Kristen likes a lot. This is Susan Gibson in Dallas, one of your ardent fans. He is uh, that uh, lawyer in Chicago. And uh, yay, Richard Gere. And yay, Chicago. Love that movie. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You're darn right, Susan in Texas. Correct. Chicago. Great job. With Richard Gere. And thanks for doing a little singing yourself, Susan. We love that. We love it when people sing. Always. Yeah. They always sing a little bit better than I do. Not as good as you necessarily, though, Rafer. You're such a good singer. (laughs) Uh, It's pitchy, dog. No, you sound truly outrageous when you sing, Rafer. (laughs) Kristen, what's this week's trivia? Well, this week, in honor of Rock the Cosba, the new movie with Bill Murray, who is um, in a war zone. He's, He's in this whole military world. We remember that this is not the first time that Bill Murray has been in a military film. Here's a clip of another movie where he's in the military. Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Army training, sir! Army training, sir! <laughs> Just like last night, only better! Head! Hat shoulder! Hold! Everyone knows that movie. Come on. Are you on. sure? Does everybody know that movie, Rafer? Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. If We're going to be flooded do. with calls. <laughs> flooded, I tell you. Well, if you know what that movie is, give us a call at 5717movies. Or you can write to us at facebook.com slash moviedatepodcast. <laughs>